Hey, uh, welcome to Coin Church. If this is your first time, your second, third, fifth time, we just want you to know you're loved in this place. We, uh, we created uh, Coin over a burden and a desire to just show people love and grace and mercy and remind them that that, that is who Jesus is. We're really not uh, about a facade of religion. That's not what we're interested in. We're, we're more interested in the person of Jesus and who he is and what he's done in our life and what we know to be true, that he can do the same in your life. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about spiritual momentum, building it up, revving it up, and I, feel, I felt it was only fitting to talk about part two to that. And we ended on this, this story of this man named David that if you were to look at, at his story Second uh, Samuel, I believe, it's all the way, you know, it starts at chapter 8, and it just keeps going into chapter 9 and chapter 10, and, and then all of a sudden, the spiritual momentum is broken, and so I want to talk about that tonight. If I be honest, it might be a little uncomfortable. Those that are kind of like not sure about church, I promise it'll get better. But it's almost like I, I get my hair cut by this guy, and he calls that spray at the very end, you know, when they kind of line you up. He calls it devil's juice. Devil's juice. He's like, hey, be careful, because you know how it stings really, really bad, and then it gets better? Or it's almost like sweet and sour, uh, the watermelon little patch. I love those little candies. First, it's like really, really sour, and then it gets sweet. Well, tonight's going to be like that. And you know, uh, Something that I think is incredibly imperative, it's so important. We can talk about victory upon victory upon victory, and we can be honest, raw, and real. But we would be lying and giving a disservice of the scripture and of the word and the power and the perspective and the anointing of the word of God if we don't talk about what happens when or what, what it is that stops spiritual momentum. We can be on a row, and just like I talked about, you know, I had a Volkswagen, and sometimes the starter would go out or the battery would go out, and I needed some buddies or myself to just push the car fast enough to where I could get inside the car, put my foot on the clutch, release it, pop in the clutch, and, and turn the car on. And all that's great, and it's like, yeah, we got the momentum, and people were excited, and you're, you're, you're beating the Goliaths, and you're beating those people, you know, the giants around you, and facing obstacles and opposition, but what happens when the spiritual momentum stops? And what was it that stopped the momentum? Tonight's talk, a conversation is, is titled, I fell, but I got up. Turn to your neighbor and say, I got up. I got up. <laughs> All throughout the scriptures, what I love about the scriptures is it's honest and it's true and it's real to human life. It doesn't just talk about people or kings. Or it doesn't just talk about certain individuals that had conquered so much and it was so great and it was so awesome. But yet, on top of that, it also speaks about the brokenness, the devastation, the, the mess-ups, the sin, if you will, in their lives that had got them to a place of deep brokenness where they fell. But what I have found when I look at the scriptures, when I look at a man named David, is not only did he fall, but he got back up. You see, the story could have just ended at his fall. But yet we see, and we know it today, even in the life of Israel, if you were to go there today, the name David is saying throughout the cities. For millennia after, this man is, is accredited to the, a man after God's own heart. So we find ourselves with the fall of David. And I'm going to read this passage 
Starting in 2 Samuel, it says this. The Lord sent Nathan, a prophet, to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other was poor. The rich man, well, he had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe, lamb, he had bought. He raised it and he grew it, this little lamb with him and with his children. He shared it, his food with it. He drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Nathan the prophet turns to David and says, Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger as he heard this story as the prophet Nathan came to him. He said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing that had no, and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and all Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. We find ourselves in this passage of scripture, if we were to go last week, David he kills a Goliath, right? He kills him. He takes care of him. He says, I have slew the, the bear. I have slew the lion. Who is this Philistine? Who is this Goliath? And then we find ourselves looking, focusing in on this man named David, and he just has victory after victory after victory. He finds himself on a spiritual momentum. And every time an enemy would come, he would just devour and conquer more. And he would always credit it to God. He would always say it was God that had given him the strength. God was the one that led his sword. God was the one that had given him power. God was the one that had given him strength in every battle and in every victory. He always pointed it back to God. But there was this, this one evening, the scripture says in 2 Samuel, they were, they were out fighting the, the Ammonites. And, and David decided because he just had victory after victory after victory. And we talked about last week, when you have spiritual momentum, don't stop, right? Like you get a victory and we're praying for something. Hey, could you pray for this in my life? And we, we experience that victory and it's like, man, God is so amazing. And then we just don't come to church anymore. We stop hanging out with like the people in the church. We stop talking about God. It's just like whatever because like God did what like I asked him to do. And so David finds himself on a spiritual high of momentum, but he decides to recline while his men are at war. He stays at his palace, and the palace in Israel for the king was, overlooked the entire city. He wakes up one morning and goes out, maybe he has a cup of coffee, and he looks out and sees at the top of a house a, a woman bathing, bathing. And she was beautiful, and she was glorious, and she was amazing. And David, if you look at 
his life had a problem with women. He had a problem with power. He had a problem with authority. Yet he always kept his eyes on God. But this time, he began to lose spiritual momentum. Lust became an issue. Desire became an issue. And so he, sell, he sends his men, go find that woman that's down there and bring her to me. Her name was Bathsheba. And she came, and the scripture says that she, lied, she, she laid down with David. She went back home, came back a couple weeks later, and had told David, I am pregnant with your child. Little did David know, as, as he did some research before this all happened, he found out. He said, find this information about this woman. And they came back to him and said, well, this is the... the the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the one that is at war, the one that is among the greatest of men in our battle, our battlefield, Uriah is her husband. And so once David hears this news, the problem with, with spiritual momentum, when it stops, when it comes to a halt, it's oftentimes with sin. Not always, but oftentimes it is. It's sin, it's mess up, it's a mishap, it's something that if we're being honest, we can't give excuse to anyone else but our own choices. What I love about God is he has given us free will. I believe that with all my heart. He, he has given us the ability to create beauty and create wonder. He's given us the ability to say no to him. He's given us the ability to make our own choice. But because we get to make our own choices, we must own up to our choices. So David finds himself in a predicament. Uriah the Hittite is out at battle with the Ammonites. I am here. I got his wife pregnant. What should I do? The first thing he should have done was go to God, right? God, I made a mistake. I messed up. It, I got, it got the best of me. But what he does is he begins to hide his mess up, begins to hide his sin. The first thing he does is, he brings Uriah back. He calls for his uh, chief, Joab. He says, get Joab and bring Uriah back. And he has a conversation with Uriah. And he says, Uriah, you're such an awesome man. You're an amazing man. I, I want you to, to go home and be with your wife. Just take a rest from the battlefield. You've been doing so much. And the scripture says that he sent with him food and, and, and all this great stuff, hoping that Uriah would sleep with his wife so that he could cover up the pregnancy. And then he gets word from the guards that Uriah never even went home. He slept outside the palace gates, didn't even go to his house. And so then David asked, why didn't you go home with your wife? And he said, I cannot do such a thing when my men, my people, my friends are out at battle while I'm sleeping, enjoying my wife. I can't do it. He said, David, as long as you're alive, I should never do that. Imagine the guilt immediately, like, Okay, David, what are you going to do? I, Uriah messed up, but no. Again, he says, well, why don't you bring Uriah over? And, and he gives him great drink, and he throws a party. And his desire is that Uriah would get drunk, and he does, hoping that he would go home, sleep with his wife, and the pregnancy would be covered. But again, Uriah does not. So David finds himself wondering what should I do and it seems as though since the first cover-up he might as well cover it up again and he covers it up again and so then he tells Joab the commander of his army send Uriah in front of everyone in the battlefield Joab's like that's not the custom David where too many men will die and David says send him out anyway and, and make sure 
Uriah is at the front. Joab sends news back to David, and he says, great men had died today as well as, Joab, as, as Uriah, the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband. And so then David, he, di he discovers, all right, it's all covered up. I did everything I was supposed to do. I made sure it was all good. I, I want my, ma my name to be honored. I want people to know I'm a good person. But th there was something eating him up. He had fallen. And maybe not in the eyes of his men because everyone loved him, but we find ourselves in the passage of Scripture where Nathan the prophet is sent to David's house tells him the story of a man that has just a small little lamb, a cute lamb, a beautiful lamb, precious to him, and it was his only lamb that he had. But then there was a rich man that had many different lamb, all kinds. He was rich. He had so much, and a traveler came out of town, and the custom in that day and age was when someone came to your house, you gave him food, and you honored them. And so the rich man, who had all the authority, all the power, no one would come against him, no one would say anything, goes to the poor man, takes his sweet little lamb and has it killed, sacrificed, and eaten. And David is furious at this as king. Who is this man? He must be put to death. And that poor man will be paid four times for his troubles. Nathan the prophet looks at David and he says, that man, David, is you. You did what was dishonorable in the eyes of God. Why did you take your eyes off of God? And I know for people in this room, you're like, man, this is like the sour part. Because the problem is we have all dealt with sin in our life. We can't hide from it. We can't run from it. There is no person in this room that is perfect. There is no person in this room that has not made a mistake and that has not actually made a choice. Regardless, I'm still going to do this. We have all fallen short of that. You know what's interesting is you have to ask yourself what happens when the spiritual momentum stops? How does it rev back up? How does it get back to power? David gives us the spiritual solution. He looks to Nathan. He says, he says I've messed up. I've made my mistake. I'm, I'm sorry. And he repents to God immediately after Nathan shares that with him. You know, I think it's interesting. There's this old adage, pride comes before the fall. Have you heard that? <laughs> Me and my buddy, uh, Marky, we, we love playing FIFA in like junior high. You guys know FIFA, like the soccer game? And we would play so much. And like we would argue and get mad at each other and fight each other. And every time I'd score goals and I'd like get to the top and I'd have like a progressive list of wins, I would just like flaunt it. Anyone who knows about like me and competitive, I just flaunted a little too much. And he would always tell me, hey, bro, pride comes before the fall. <laughs> and sure enough, he'd beat me and he'd rub it in my face. I think of a man like Mike Tyson. Was 37-0 until he met James Buster Douglas. He gets into the ring, has nothing, no, 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 like no one has ever beaten him. Imagine having that record, 37-0 gets into the ring, feels as though he's invincible. No one can touch him. No one can get near him. But yet he gets himself in the ring, and as soon as he thinks he knows it all, as soon as he thinks he has it all, he gets knocked out. And I wonder for some of us in this room, we might think we're 37-0, and 0, and nothing's coming against us. And no opposition is coming after us. And it doesn't matter if it's sin or if it's just something that has devastated your life to feel like you have fallen on your back and you are broken. 
Sin is a momentum killer. The only thing that can stop you from glory to glory and accomplishment and victory and victory is sin. You lose your confidence when sin creeps in. You lose your faith when sin creeps in. You lose your boldness. There's a man named Joshua, and he's in, he's in a camp, and he's overseeing. We know the story of Joshua when he crosses over the Jordan. He finds himself after battle after battle, and God's bringing every victory. And all of a sudden, he's at the battle of Ai, and he's not winning. He goes to God, cries out to him, why, why are we not winning? You promised us we would win if we put you first. God says, destroy the destruction. It's in Joshua 7. It says, Israel has sinned, God tells Joshua. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. And that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. You want to know why you can't stand against your enemies sometimes? Because you've been okay with the mess-ups, and it's become a habit of choice. And you can come to church, and let me just give you the sour part, okay? <laughs> you can come to church, and it's amazing, and it's awesome, and we can have great community, and we can have great conversation, but until you deal with that sin in your life, that brokenness in your life, until you go to God, talk to God, give it all to God, you may still experience loss in regards to your enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. My question to you tonight is, do you have anything in your life that's destro destroying you? Maybe it seems like it's all good on the outside. Is there anything deep within that's destroying your path to spiritual momentum? David said, I fell short. He fell forward, but not back. He admitted to his mess up. And you know, it's interesting, again, regardless if it's sin or if it's a mess up, have you ever just felt like you were just, you just had fallen on your back? And, and it seems like nothing can get you back up. You, you had messed up so bad, you're just laying there and you're crying out to God and you don't understand. Maybe you have no relationship to God. Maybe it just feels like everything around you is just beating at you. Everyone's saying all that stuff about you, that one thing that happened to you in your life, it's just destroyed to you, and you're laying on your back and you're broken. I want to encourage you that when you're on your back, there's no way that you can't go any lower but up, right? You know, I think about this, this process in my own life. I cannot be up here and, 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 and tell you that I am not perfect. I have my, I've had my days in, in the past where I've messed up and I've made mistakes. All you have to do is know me from the high school days. Sammy Flo, the water polo guy. <laughs> and you would know very quickly that I had made mistakes. And there was many times in my life in high school where I walked around like I just was, was the man. I was like that guy. Little did anyone know I had fallen on my back because I knew that this sin, this mess up, this habitual choice to shy away from the things of God and to pursue what was carnal and what was fleshly, it had dropped me on my back, but I got up. Yeah, yeah, I got up. You see, that you might be in this room and your baby daddy might have left you, but here's the beautiful thing. You get back up. 
You might be in this room and that thing that happened to you when you were just a little girl, when you were just a little boy, it devastated you. But the beauty and the wonder is that you're here and you're worshiping Jesus, so I know that you got back up. You see, there are so many times we can fall and we can fall and we can be like Mike Tyson and think we have it all when we step in the ring, but that one thing can knock you right down on your back, broken. But the beauty and the wonder of, and the majesty of Jesus is he calls you to get back up. I don't know if there's any person in this room that I'm speaking to, but I feel like I'm talking to someone. You might be in here feeling like you are on your back right now. Like there is nothing and no one that can get you back up, but I want to express to you and, and yell to you if I have to that the only person that can get you up is Jesus. He's the one that woos you. He's the one that calls you. And here's the problem. Once we get up, we're quickly reminded of all of the mess-ups we've had, right? You have to ask yourself, why, why is it that like, that's always in the back of my mind? Why is it that it's always right there? Why is it that every time I feel like I'm pressing forward, why is it when I raise my hands and worship and I cry out to God, this, it's that thing that just reminds me of all the mess-ups. It's that moment when I was on my back and it cripples me at times. You know, if I'm being honest, I'm grateful for those things. Even thinking through the neuroscience of it and, and, and tra traumatic events that happen to us. You, you realize that the scripture says when God forgives you, he forgives you. Somebody in this room needs to know that. You might have made a mistake. You might have messed up. You might have been on your back. But once you got up and once you called out to Jesus and once you, you ran to him and once you pursued him, the scripture says he forgives you forevermore. So that means all of the pain of the past, everything here in the present, and even in the future, he already died for all of that. He called you to get back up, and you haven't even fallen yet. The scripture says in Psalms, as far as from the east is, is to the west, he says, Jesus says, God says, I, I've forgiven your sins, and I, I don't remember them anymore. As, as deep as the darkest part of the ocean, I have blotted out all of the sins and transgressions. David, he, he gives us a principle of the spiritual comeback, the spiritual momentum of getting back on the course that you need to be. And it's this churchy word, repentance, right? It's, it's turning back to where you're going and the, 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 the road that you're on and, and you're like on your back and then you get back up and it's like, man, I can get back in the ring. And then you realize that you're on the same path that you're on before you fell down. And the, the beauty and the wonder of repentance is it's, it's a turning of your heart and of your soul. And it's keeping your eyes and putting your eyes back on God. That's the problem with David. He took his eyes off God. And so once we put our eyes on God, once we pursue him, once we give him our heart, he begins to do a great work in us, and it's this turning point within our soul of saying, God, I've made a mistake. God, I've messed up. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? And, and you can look it up if you're taking notes. Psalm 51 is the entire story, the entire cry to God from David after this event. God says, I forgive you, but why do I still remember? I feel like the reason that we still remember I feel, I feel like God put that in us so you can get back up. Because think about it. If, if you've hurt yourself, like I hurt myself playing basketball pretty bad, you better believe when I went to the doctor, I thought I like tore my ACL. I thought I was done. I was like, there goes my career. <laughs> 
and I hurt myself really bad. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even run. I was like depressed because I'm so active and I love running and I love playing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can never play basketball with my kids. Like it's over for me because of my knee. But you better believe that when I, had been, when I had fell and I messed up and I made that mistake when the doctor said, well, if you would have stretched, this might not have happened. That was the scar tissue to the mess up that I have. So you, you better believe. I'm grateful I've never, I'll never forget about that event. Because every time we go play, everyone else can go start warming up and shooting around. I'm going to be in the court and stretching. Because I don't ever want that to happen again. And so when you get, yeah, Nelson, come on. So when you get in the ring... And you're 37-0, and 0, but you get knocked out by Buster. You're going to understand I have to be a little bit more cautious. I have to weave back and forth. I have to understand that my opponent very well could knock me out. But I'm going to get back up. I have to realize that this scar tissue, this pain, it's reminding me of the time that I fell and I got back up. It's reminding me that sin that I think of often, that sin that the enemy tries to lie and mock and say you're not good enough. For me, I'm at a point in my life where I understand the grace of God. So when I experience the lies of the enemy to say you're not good enough, I just look back and say, I know I just got back up. I can get back up. Nothing and no one can get in my way because I have realized the grace of God has covered me forevermore. And you have to know that. You have to realize that. And I'm sorry, sometimes it's really sour before it's sweet. Sin is real. Sin can cripple you. Sin can ruin your future. Sin can ruin everything that you have established for your life. One small mistake can ruin it all. But you just got to get back up. If you allow yourself to just lay and, and cry and, and, and mope and play the victim, how on earth can you accomplish what God has called you to do if you don't realize, man, I just got to get up. I just got to get over this. There's this very interesting, I don't want to go too deep because you have to read it yourself. But read 2 Samuel, read the entire story. I'm going to be real honest. I'm just going to give you a little meat. The scripture makes it very clear that there is consequences to your sin, that there's some scar tissue that happens and it builds up. And sometimes it's ramification over generation to generation. Sometimes we are forgiven, but there's still a consequence. You look at the life of David and the scripture says he was crying, he was weeping, he was fasting that God would not take away that child. Nathan said, because you have done this, there is consequence. Because you have done this, David, there is consequence. And you know what's interesting to me is his guards, his people, his maids, they came to him. and He found out that the baby had died in Bathsheba's womb. And he was broken. He was devastated. And the scripture says he got back up and he went into the house of God and he worshiped. You want to know why he's a man after God's own heart? Because he didn't blame God. He knew it was his own decision and action that created the consequence for his mess up. And he, the scripture says he went into the house of God, he worshiped God, he came back, and he continued to do life like it was before. And they would say, David, why, why are you still, like, I don't understand. And he said, why, why should I just sit and mourn? I know what happened, I know what I did, and I have to move forward. That is what happens when you realize the God that you serve, that you have to get up. And as long as I have a voice within my like 
lungs, as long as I have air in my lungs, as long as I have blood within my veins, I will yell and scream and remind you, you will make mistakes, but you have to get back up. You cannot play victim. You cannot stay still. You cannot lay on your back. You have to remember that that one thing that messed you up is that very thing that's going to propel you into your next season. But don't, please, don't blame God. It's our own decision. It's our own action. It's, the own, it's, it's what's within us because he's given us free will. He's given us choice. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Let me give you the sweetest part, okay? We're almost done. You guys good? You're like staring at me like, my goodness, sin, ah, repentance, ah. Luke 7 verses 36 and 50 says this. If you want to know, this is the reason I get back up. This is the reason when I'm here and I'm worshiping, sitting in the very junior high that I remember making a lot of mistakes at, the same city that I went and I walked and I, and I, and I walked in the hallways and I went to that high school and I, I can remember back and it's almost sometimes as, as, as though it's yesterday. I have just learned and realized when those memories come back, I just laugh in the face of the enemy. Yeah, thank you for reminding me how good my God is. Thank you for reminding me that I know I messed up. I know I had fallen, but I'm back up. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was, was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Side note, I love that those that know they're sinners and mess up and all that, they want to go where Jesus is at. Are you that type of person that sinners want to be around? That people that are messing up want to be around? Or are you the person that everyone knows, oh, they're just going to judge me and criticize me and say I'm not good enough? Or are you going to be like Jesus? Inviting people just wanted to be by him. There was something about him. There was something about him that allowed them to just get back up. Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with the hair, with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to Jesus, He said to himself, If this man were a prophet like Nathan, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, this woman, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. This is the one that has forever changed me. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. This is for someone in the room. Jesus is saying, your many sins are forgiven. They're forgiven.
forgiven. The mess-ups, the hurt, the brokenness, all the times that you know you did something and like you probably shouldn't have done it, it's forgiven. As her great love has shown. But I tell you, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And so in the same understanding, whoever forgives much loves much. Do you know that? I don't know about you, but when I'm sitting down with someone, I know I'm a little bit younger and I don't have all this experience. I get that. But I, I have learned enough about sin. I've learned enough about brokenness. I've seen at times the story unfold before it's even happened. I get it. I understand it. And when I'm sitting with someone at a coffee shop and they tell me their story and I can tell their shame and conviction over their life, I can tell that they're ashamed of their past, I just remind them, hey, that's okay because I've been forgiven. Because I've forgiven, I get to love you even more. I get to come to church and worship God because I know all of the sin, all of the brokenness, all of the mess-ups, all the time that I lay flat on my back, God had forgiven me so that I can get back up. So in the same way, please, please, please know you are forgiven. You are loved. And when you fall like David fell, just get back up. Just get back up and keep moving forward. back up. In fact, you must get back up. You have too much to do. Do you know that? There's so much ahead of your life. But what the enemy wants you to know is you can't do it. Oh my goodness. Why on earth would you think you can go do that? Why on earth would you think that you can post that about Jesus? Or, or read that Bible? Or go to that midweek? Or go to that church? Because of all of the things that you've done in your life, why on earth would you believe that you're good enough? to understand that it's nothing that you can do and it's everything that Jesus has done. I want to pray with you right now for any person in this room. As we close in worship, I just want to encourage you that God loves you. He's got a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. That you might be like David. You might have fallen, but all you got to do is just get back up. All you got to do is look to him. All you got to do is ask for forgiveness. All you have to do is repent of things that you know you had messed up on. So Jesus, I pray for every person in this room, God, that doesn't know you, that doesn't understand you, that wants to know more about you. I pray, oh God, that as they move forward with spiritual momentum, that you would lift their heads up, that you would remind them to just get back up and keep moving forward. Keep getting back in the ring. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. Don't allow your past to dictate your future. Know that you are forgiven. Know that you are loved. Know that you have a plan and a purpose in your life. And because of such things, you can move forward.